You guys are still grabbing coffee, donuts, that kind of stuff. No worries. I always said when we, we decided to, you know, start another church, um, it, there's just something that really cool that can happen when you're still small. And I like the way that these carpet squares make it feel a little bit like a living room-ish. Um, so yeah, I like that. I want this sort of to feel a little more like that, right? There's always a window of time when you start something new that you just get to be together and you get to um, just do things that you feel like you can't always do the bigger place get. So you get to know each other a little bit better. You get to have bigger, better, uh, more in-depth conversations during halftime, and I want that to continue to be a thing. I want you to be able to like get up and go get a refill, even if you're sitting in the front row like, I need more coffee. Go get it. Uh, while you are here, this is your house for just a little bit. So uh, I'm really glad that you're here. I feel like I just need you to know this about me. First of all, my name's Carrie. This is my first time being a pastor uh, of an official capacity. Uh, Jody would tell me that I've been pastoral a long time. She's already given me a face, so I get it. But this is a new experience for me. And so when I, we finished last Sunday, uh, I felt so good about how everything went. And I was like, man, that felt good. The teaching felt really good. And then it did dawn on me kind of halfway through. I said, oh, I'm going to do this again next week. And turns out I got to keep doing it for a while, which is good. But I'm always worried you're going to run out of things to say. Turns out for me, not true. Um, I feel like I'm always going to have something to say, um, and the key for me is going to be um, figuring out how much to say every week. So we got to buckle up, because I feel like in, in this last week, the Holy Spirit has just been teaching me a ton. I have heard this story. If you've grown up in church, or you were part of campus ministry, um, or I'm kind of looking around the room seeing who I got, uh, you know, you've maybe heard this story a bunch. And sometimes the temptation that we have when we've heard some of these stories in the life of Jesus so many times that we're like, I know, I know it. I know what I'm, I've gotten all that I'm going to get out of this thing. And so I had to, so you sort of sometimes have to change your mindset about that. So if, if this story is familiar to you, then I pray that you will kind of have fresh ears. And if you're like, I have no idea what she's talking about and I don't know where the book of John is. That's cool too, because um, I, will, I will tell you and then you will be part of this story for the first time, which is also really cool. So for wherever you're coming from, we're glad that you're here because we're going to do this together. But let me pray so that we make sure that the Lord is in this place and it's not just me. Can I get an amen? Okay, let's pray. Father God, I just want you to, to just be in this place. I feel your presence by the power of your Holy Spirit already. Um, and I'm thankful that you are here and that you show up. And I pray that as we open your word, that you will speak to us in new and fresh ways, that you'll give us new insights, that something new will, will pop out to us for the first time, something that we can take to our heart and make a part of our life so that we can continue to be ever transformed by the message of the gospel. God, you are so good, and I'm thankful for the ways that you speak to us and the ways that you show us your unfailing love to us in your word. So as we open it today, soften our hearts and open our ears to your messages and your truth. So everything that I say, may it be from you, and if it's not, I hope that they forget everything and remember only what's from you. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. It's always a good way to start. I mean, always. So I feel like I have a lot. So when you, anytime I, I'm starting to get in the text, especially in the familiar stories, I, 
I always have to remind myself, and so I remind you, that we always have to understand it in, in two ways. We, we have to take it back to biblical times and understand the culture and context, and then we have to bring it back to here and now, and what does it mean? We always want to be asking that question, because if we don't understand those two things, then it just sort of becomes, so what? And that is what I never want to happen for it to be so what. So we are going to um, jump into um, Jesus going into Samaria. Now he'd already, uh, his ministry, especially as you read it in the book of John, is still new. Um, and I guess one thing you need to know, I'm looking at my friend Josie. Hi Josie. It's nice. We went to Israel together a few years ago. And Josie, hot? Is hot there? We did. We stayed in the bus. I did not climb Mount Arbel because it was 118 degrees that day. So to understand Israel, you always need to make sure we understand that it is uh, an arid landscape. There are few, the water sources are few and far between. It doesn't rain very often, and when it does, it is in the rainy season. So they have the dry spell for a really long time, and everyone needed water. So when you're thinking about building, even building a city, if you were you'd say, this is the place that we want to go. I think it'd be a good place to, to plunk down Granville. The first thing they'd have to look for in this place is a water source and a way to get the water to the city. So it had to always be close to water so that they could build wells and they could build cisterns. Water was a gathering place because it was so important to, to the day in that particular landscape. So they always gathered around water. I, mean, I feel like that's probably where the like water cooler discussions at the office come from? Do we have water coolers anymore? Is that even a thing? Okay, uh, so maybe not. But they needed a place to, to gather water. They needed places to bring their sheep and goats. It was therefore a way for the community to gather around water. In this case, it was the town well. They would, they would gather there because everybody, it was the thing that they had in common. Whether you were uh, you had anything in common with anybody else, whether you were rich or whether you were poor, water was the equalizer. You had to have it. You needed to have it. People sometimes met their spouses at the well, which was kind of helpful. Guys like Jacob and Moses. It was like a pickup spot back in the day. Surprised you didn't know that, right? But Jesus' ministry in this context is still new. He's still sort of getting his name out there. He already had his first miracle uh, happen at the, the wedding in Cana. Um, he'd gotten pretty ticked and kicked everybody out of the temple. Um, he confused Nicodemus with a story about how to be born again. Um, so he'd already kind of been on his way. He was starting to feel the heat uh, from the Pharisees. Uh, as, as Jill read for us, they first, they sort of, he's baptizing more people even than John. So they started to, their feathers were already getting ruffled. And so John, or, uh, Jesus decided it was time to go. So let's pick that story back up. If you've got a Bible today, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. If you have a device, you may feel free to use that. However, I did not ask for the Wi-Fi password, so you'll have to use some data. I hope you're okay with that. So let, let's kind of go through and take the first nine verses together. So it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, let me see that one more time, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. That's going to become important. 
So he, went, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tried as he wa- tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Let's just kind of take a look at those first nine nine verses. Can you uh, put up that first map for me, Josh? When Jesus said the fastest and most efficient way uh, to get from Judea to Galilee is a straight shot, right, through Samaria. You can see it uh, on a map, but most... Uh, religious Jews avoided Samaria, Samaria altogether. They didn't even want to go through it. Um, they weren't going to. They didn't even want to go in the region where they might encounter a, a Samarian. They just, they wanted. You can see the path that they went around. They avoided it altogether. It's how any good University of Michigan fan feels about the state of Ohio. We just avoid it. We try not to go through it, around it. But if you look, take the second slide where you can zoom in. They go east towards Jericho, and then they go over the Jordan River. Then they're on the north side uh, of the east side of the Jordan. And then they cross back over the river and then go to Galilee. That's a lot of trouble to avoid a relatively uh, small spot. I feel like if they just plowed through, they'd be there in no time. So what is it that they don't want to go there? Um, verse 4, I love that. It says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's just a, the fun word choice that, I, that, that he uses that John uh, tells us about. He made a conscious choice to go into a place uh, that people like him, which were good Jewish religious men, wouldn't go. They walk miles out of their way to avoid this place. And Jesus said, no, I have to go through it. So let's just keep, keep that in the forefront of your mind. Now, here's what else we know. It is the sixth hour, which means noon. Uh, it's the hottest part of the day. Um, I mean, you, you experience the heat, right? Like one day we were there, it's 118 degrees, and I don't care how dry the heat is, you feel like you're in an oven, right? Like it's just, you don't want to be, you don't want to be outside whether you're used to it or not. That's not really a thing. So it's not the right time of the day to even be at the well, if it's a, and it's a place for community. It's a place that people go at the same time, most likely in the morning or in the evening, in the cooler parts of the day. And like we talked about, it's a place where the community gathers together. And this woman shows up in the hottest part of the day alone. Now, sometimes when I read this story, we've talked about in the past that some would say it's because she was an outcast, even among Sumerians. Right? She had sinned so much, had gone so far away, uh, from God that she, she was an outcast among outcasts. And I've talked about this for a long time, and I was actually having, I've had several conversations with Jody over the years, and we were chatting uh, at her table over something delicious, I'm sure, and she just, I think she just looked at me and she goes, I just don't buy it. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that she was this like meek and mild, like, oh, I have to go to the well at noon because then no one will be there. She's like, I just think she's lazy. Right, like she's like, I don't care. I, I mean, right, like it, I, I'm, I am too, I, I am too far gone anyway for anyone to love me or care about me. So whatever. We're gonna, we find out later in the story, right, that she has five husbands, and the person that she's with now, 
not her husband, she has given up completely on the idea that, that she is worthy of any kind of love. So she's like, I'm in, the, this is the life I'm, I'm, I'm in, this is the life that I've chosen for myself or that I've been given or whatever her mentality is. I feel like that may be more accurate. That maybe she was an outcast, maybe people didn't love her, but I'm not sure she cared at that point. Do we know people like that? who have maybe walked away from their faith, have maybe walked away um, from, from, from a, a church place for whatever reason, and they have just sort of given up and they've locked in to this, to this life that they, they're not comfortable with. They don't, they, don't, they don't love who they are when they're in it, but they're in it because they're like, I'm, no one's going to love me because I did all this stuff anyway, so I'm just going to keep doing it. I wonder if that's, that's the place that maybe that she, she was in. And Jesus comes in, he's, he's tired and he's hot from a journey and he sits down the well at the well and has a conversation with this woman. Now, you just got to pause because there's a couple weird things that are happening, right? First of all, we kind of know that in biblical times, like men and women like, pretty much kept separate. And so not only is it weird that there's a Jew talking to a Samaritan, but it's just weird that a man is talking to a woman in public. That's just not something that they did. So that's already kind of bizarre. But where does this sort of hatred come for Samaritans? I've heard the story, this story, I've heard the story of the Good Samaritan for a really long time, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I've ever really figured out why exactly they didn't like the Samaritan so much. So, research. And it's actually kind of cool. So uh, back in 722 B.C., yeah, we're going all the way back to B.C. over here, uh, God's people, the Israelites, were not following the ways of God. So as a punishment, God sent in the Assyrians and they wiped out Israel. Here's where it gets a little tricky. So the Assyrians did a couple things. One, they took some back uh, to Assyria um, to serve as slaves. Some of them stayed in some of them stayed in the land. The Israelites stayed in the land. And some of the Assyrians also stayed in the land. So they were there, some of them were there together. So they were there long enough to have some commingling happening. And later, uh, the longer they were there, they started to, to intermarry. And then they became half-breeds. There were all these kids that were half-Jewish, half-Assyrian, and Assyrians were pagan. Right? So you have all these... So that, and then if, if you're not fully a Jew and you've associated and, and gotten connected with a pagan, you are unclean. And if you're unclean, a Jew can have nothing to do with you. So if you're a good Jewish religious person of that day, you're going to avoid that whole place. Because we also know, and we'll get into this probably another time, but purifying yourself and getting clean of all those things, it's a, it's a hassle. Like there's a lot you have to do to, to get clean once you have been um, made unclean by something, right? Whether you've touched something you shouldn't have or there's mold in your house. Oh man, we'll get into Leviticus. That'll blow your mind. All the rules they had to follow to be good, they want to just avoid that whole thing. Also important to know that the, um, the people in Samaria, they still believed in, in God. They still had a belief system they just believed in the, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible. And so then, therefore, they set up their own place to worship because of their um, uncleanness. They couldn't go to the temple. So even if they wanted to worship, they couldn't because they weren't allowed to. So they had to set up their own place. 
Can you feel that tension it must be like to be in that place? We sort of live in a tenuous culture now, right? Like, you can feel the tension. We're getting closer to another election, and you can feel it starting to build already. Um, And so Jesus is breaking all kinds of rules. Jesus asks her for a drink. And if, if the funny thing is, is if she's unclean, so she's already talking to her, and she dips something in the well and gives him a drink of something, Jesus is automatically unclean. You can't touch something somebody else touched. Or you're unclean again. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Let's go verse 10. 10 to 12. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who is it that asks for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his flocks and herd. Who are you? Who does this guy think that he is coming in here asking me for a drink? I like the, I like the tone that Jill used when she read this because I feel like that feels a little like, I think she's interested, but I think she's also like, what is happening? What is going on here? Who does this guy think he is? But then Jesus offers her living water. It's my favorite Hebrew word. It's main chayin. Say it with me. Main chayin. Oh, look at you. You guys are good Hebrew scholars. Um, and I love that. That is, that, is that what that means? Living water. Now, living water has to have a source. Or it, has to be, it has to be moving. It's a spring. It's a river. It's flowing water. It's rain water. It's, it's water that's not man-made it can't be stagnant. You can't gather it and then bring it somewhere. That's, that's not living water. So living water isn't this brand new thing that she'd never heard of before. I mean, it, it, the way that Jesus is talking about it, it is. But the idea of living water is that the only water that could be used in the Jewish purification process. To be pure, to be made clean again, you had to use mine chayin, living water. There's all kinds of examples in, in the Old Testament. So I'm sure that, that anyone that was standing around that heard this, and, and they're kind of familiar with that, they're thinking about some of these examples. Jeremiah 2.13 is interesting. It says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water keeps bringing it back to water. Let's pick it up again at verse 13 through 18. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. Or it gets tricky. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. 
The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. My friend Kelly's always getting on her husband about tone. <sighs> tone matters. The way you deliver something, the way you have conversation with somebody, your tone matters. Poor Nick, he can't, he, his tone is always wrong. But tone is important, and I think Jesus' tone in this is, I know you. I know your story. I know your past. I know that you've, you've got hurts. I know you. There's no judgment, I don't think, in this tone. It's not, of any, of any way that I know the way that Jesus interacts and talks with people, he does it, he's not yelling. There's no exclamation points. <laughs> it's not in all caps. I think that he's saying, I know exactly who you are. It's been a long, hot day, and a Jewish man talks to a Samaritan woman. It's an awkward conversation. Get your husband. Ah, uh, I don't have one. And he says, let me offer you something better. Better than another guy, another relationship, another thing that you're going to try to fill your life with. I've got something better. I have living water. It cleanses and it purifies. It can wash away your past. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we all thirst for something. And we're all in need of some kind of cleansing. Whether you've been in church your whole life or whether this is your first time. We always are thirsting after something. We can't help it. Sometimes they're, they feel really great or they're, they, they're disguised, they're tricky as really great things. Uh, because you're going to achieve the next goal. You're going you're gonna to run your next race and you're going to get faster and you're going to do something different. Or you're going to get the next job, the next promotion, and it becomes the thing that you, that you keep filling and you keep drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking hope that the next thing, the next thing is going to be the thing that, that fills you, but you're still thirsty. It's the if I just, right? If I just get a girlfriend, if I just get married, if I just get a house, if I get a bigger house, if we can have kids, what are you thirsting for? What do you keep, what's the well that you keep going back to? Some of our friends, right, struggle with addiction. That's their well. Whether it's, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, sex, all those things are, are filling something else. But you always, always, always end up thirsty. And for some people, I think it's, it's not any one thing, but it's this unquenchable emptiness and loneliness. Maybe, they, maybe unknowing, they're, they're not thirsting after something, and, and they're, they, 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 some of the examples, right? It's, it's a, I'm just lonely. I'm surrounded in a, in a room of people, and I still feel alone. Social media doesn't help. Ugh, <laughs> oh, it's the worst, right? We get the perfect, we present our, the best version of ourselves. Because <sighs> we got to get, get people to notice. We got to get people to like what we've got. And it, it used to be that I would be like talking to high school kids. 
oh no, it's so far beyond that. The you know, biggest users of Facebook are in their 50s. That's why all the kids don't do Facebook anymore. You guys ruined it. Right? But it's that next thing. It's that next, it's like, can I get another, can I get another like? Can I get another follower? Can I get another, can I put my best self forward even though I'm falling apart? That's why anybody that puts pictures of their screaming kids, I'm like, girl, that's, I love that. Do more of that. Right? The, the parts of ourselves that don't, that are the messy parts. We like to hide, hide those parts. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that can't hold water. That's your question. What are the wells you keep coming back to? That's what I want you to start thinking about. Because in order to keep doing this, we've got to understand ourselves better. We've got to understand our own, our own struggles, our own what we're coming, what kind of what we're coming into. What, how can I just be authentic and open about the struggles that I have? And I've got to know them first. What am I constantly thirsting after? Because there has been seasons of my life that even though I believe in Jesus Christ and that my salvation is locked in him, he's not what I'm, not what I'm thirsting after. I want him to be. <laughs> Desperately want him to be, but it's not always true. And if we can just be honest about that as a group of people who are coming together so that we can be filled up with the living water, we've got we've to be okay with talking about the stuff that we really thirst for. Because we, at some point in our lives, maybe, you've had that moment where you drank deeply from the one who gives the living water, and you're quenched, and it feels amazing. If you read further into chapter 4, the woman had an encounter with Jesus, and then she testifies exactly about who Jesus is because nobody ever experiences God without being sent. It just never happens. You can read time and time and time again. If somebody experienced and had a transforming relationship moment with Jesus, they go out and they, there's nothing they can do but to testify about who he is and what he's done. She's the first evangelist in the book of John. She's the first person that he announces that who he is, that he's more than just a prophet. To a woman in Samaria who lived a sinful lifestyle, which is a word that we still love to use. Hmm. She put her jug down and she drank from the living water. Her life was transformed when she put her own jug down and she had to tell people. Jesus makes it clear that the living water is for everyone. If it's for this woman who has been married five times and the person that she's currently with is not her husband, like that's outrageous. That's ridiculous. You can't get a whole lot worse than that. And if the living water is for her, then it's for everyone. There's no other qualifications. Sometimes the church, all of myself included, we like to be a little more reminiscent of the Pharisees who wanted to create more rules to keep church and the temple a more holy place. To clean and purify yourself before you're allowed to enter in. And this is where Jesus starts to change that. All, I'm the one. I'm the one that cleanses and purifies. You don't have to get 
You have to figure it out before you come in, before you come to me, before you come into this building. That's not, there's no other qualifications. Who are yours? Who are your people? Who are your Samaritans? Who are the people you avoid? Write it down. Think about it all week long. We all have people, groups of people, um, places that make us uncomfortable, and we avoid them like Samaria. We figure out ways to avoid, to go around, to not talk to, to not engage with, because we're trying to keep ourselves clean. We don't have to do that, right? We have the living water, the mind hyene, that we are already cleaned and refreshed, and nothing's going nothing's to mess with that. Nothing's going to taint that again. We don't need to avoid, but we need to think about and understand where we're coming from, some of our own biases, ways that we treat people like Samaritans. Put up the next slide. Um, the gospel message is for everyone, and we know that they're in a river. We talked about this last week. We know that people are born into a river. If you weren't here last week, this is confusing to you. Sorry about that. Um, but the river is that people are born into this river of sin. So now I'm starting to mix metaphors, but stay with me. And the church used to be in the river. And we talked last week about the fact that the church has gotten further and further and further away from where those people are hurting and drowning. In this case, they're thirsty. They're in a large body of water and they're thirsty. I imagine it's, it's like, we see those movies where people are stranded, right? And there's no water to drink, but there's this giant ocean in front of them and they cannot drink it. I feel like that's what that has to feel like. So then what does that call the church to do? Uh, one church I, I mentioned last week, and I wanted to follow up with that, so people that were, or get left confused who weren't here last week, but the way that they talk about this problem is something that they call peer ministry. Because the church can be a place of refreshment where people can drink deeply of the living water. So go to the, can you go to the next slide for me? So they start to figure out what the community uh, needs, what the, where, where the places, who are the people that are drowning and why are they drowning? Because some people are never going to be able uh, to get to understand who Jesus is in their lives and hear the message of the gospel if they don't have basic needs that are met. So they start to build these piers, these docks that go out there. They give people a place to pull them up to. Can you go to the next one? They've defined seven things. This is just for them. And I'm, I'm giving this as an example of what uh, this particular church has done to sort of meet these needs. These are the seven things. They wanted to help people with housing, transportation, food, childcare, jobs, healthcare, and recovery. In their community, that was the way. They're like, we can get people out of the river. And some people, because of some of those things, are meeting Jesus Christ for the very first time right away. They're like, you helped me with my car? Why did you help me with my car? Why do I only have to pay $20 an hour for you to fix my car? And then they get to share that, that, that message. And that, for them, that's the gateway. That's the one thing that they need, is that you gave them a cup of water. And they're in. 
And for some people, it takes a lot. I mean, it's, it's going to take longer. It's not, that's not our job to worry about. The job is to create opportunities where we can meet people exactly where they are, where Samaria doesn't exist. There's no place that we won't go or be for people. They're just not. They don't exist. We're not going to avoid things because they make us uncomfortable. We're not going to avoid things because we think that by associating with them, we are now unclean. That's garbage. Next slide for me, Josh. They just keep getting more and more and more. Then they have an appliance store. Most of the families that they're dealing with in their community, it's working poor. They all have jobs, um, but they are one disaster away from kind of losing everything, right? Their car breaks down, they're in major trouble. They don't have an emergency fund. That's not a thing. They're day-to-day. So they've created all these different places so you can get your car fixed. They have a coffee shop that you can come, that you can come into and, and be a part of. They have a place uh, that will, a pivot point, they call it, that will connect you to a mentor and a job so that you can come and get some skills, so that you can show some uh, employment history, so that people will walk with you. Go to the next slide. And then they find out what other people are doing in the community. Who else has built peers? And they says, we don't have to be the thing, but let's join you in the thing that you're already doing. And so they become all connected so that they can just be people pulling in the same direction. Because sometimes churches think we feel like, well, we've got to be the thing to do the thing. We've got to fly the flag, and, and our name has to be on it, and we have to stamp. Look at all the things Alive in Granville is doing in our community. Who cares? Let's just go do the things. Let's just bring the cup of water. No matter where we go and where we are. This last thing, I love it because I think it's something that we, we can apply. So these are some of the things that they do, right? They have the coffee house. They have a grocery store that they, um, they sell things um, that you can find in a grocery store. Kind of like, it looks a lot like, um, not Whole Foods, but Aldi. Right, it's kind of a small, more basic store. They have everything, and they sell things for five cents above wholesale, so that people can have food. You can get a three-pack of uh, pork chops for a dollar fifty-seven. That's pretty good, right? So these families get some dignity. These families have—they ha- don't have to have ground beef for everything, right? Like it's the way that they're engaging with their community. They have an auto garage. Um, their pivot plan, work for all the things that they have, and housing is there, uh, they're still kind of getting to that point. And on the, the one side, it says the lasting impact on life goes up. The higher you get, the more impact you have because you met someone's needs, whatever that was. And, and maybe, maybe that's, these things aren't going to be our thing. This is just an example that we can use that a church that's gotten to know their community and they've moved into the neighborhood and they know people and they have a relationship with people because they decided that there was no place and no people that they wouldn't go to. Yeah! That's something we can get behind. That's something that we can be. That's something where the church here and in this area in West Michigan where it doesn't have a great rap. It just doesn't. Church people like us, but people that have been outside of church or not involved in church or hurt by the church or felt like they couldn't, weren't welcome or could come to church, we got a bad rap. And rightly so and well-deserved in some cases. But we can be the church that doesn't 
that doesn't have a Samaria or a people. We get to be the place of refreshment. Or we'll just keep refill because the living water never runs out. People will never be thirsty again because of who Jesus is and what we get to do because of who he is. So that's the kind of church that I just want to continue to be. That's the kind of vision that I want. As we continue to look at the life of Jesus, you're going to just continue to be amazed that we put so many much more rules and regulations on things than I think he ever would encounter or would have thought possible. So we're going to keep breaking that down as, as time goes on so that we can keep thinking about what are, the rule, what are the things that Jesus set up? What rules did he abolish and tell us to let go of? And what new thing can we usher in here in our community? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. I'm just grateful for this place. We're new and um, we're a group of people who aren't doing it right, always, right, in our lives. We we, we confess to you that we, um, we're thirsty, and sometimes we drink at other wells, wells that are only going to make us continue to be thirsty and, and, and all the time and thirsty again and thirsty again. But we know, God, that you are the living water. You can fill, fill us up in ways that we could never imagine. We can walk away from the things that aren't giving us life, that leave us unsatisfied. We can put down those jugs. God, I pray that you just, you work in our hearts today, that you, you convict us in some new ways, that you help us to take a look at some of the things that are hard for us to admit about who we are. Um, that we think about who in our lives or do we sometimes try to avoid Maybe they're, they're people that we know. For me, they're people I know. They're people that are in my family. Help us to, to take a look at who those people are, and I want, Lord, you to give us new eyes to see them. New eyes to see uh, the people that are um, forgotten or marginalized. God, you are the, the giver of all things. And I pray that you would help us to see. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.